Phipps drops back on first and 10 and throws a long pass to Dillingham inside the Notre Dame 20. With first down on the Irish 16-yard line, Phipps spots Dillingham again, this time out to the right, and hits him for a touchdown for the Boilermakers. Now the score is Purdue 23, Notre Dame 7. Hi, I'm Kate Young, and you're listening to This is Purdue, the official podcast for Purdue University. As a Purdue alum and Indiana native, I know firsthand about the family of students and professors who are in it together, persistently pursuing and relentlessly rethinking. Who are the next game changers, difference makers, ceiling breakers, innovators? Who are these Boilermakers? Join me as we feature students, faculty, and alumni taking small steps toward their giant leaps and inspiring others to do the same. He's done well. I'm proud of him. Well, thank you. You have too. I'm proud of you. We've kept this great friends. He's my best friend. We love each other and... You're going to make me cry. (laughs) 50 plus years of friendship, loyalty, the history and camaraderie behind the iconic late 1960s Purdue football teams under coach Jack Mullenkoff. Yes, this story you're about to hear is about football, but it's so much more than that. It's also a story about true friendship rooted in Boilermaker culture, persistence, and perseverance. Mike Phipps and Don Kiepert were teammates on the 1967 Big Ten Championship football team. And they're as entertaining and fun as they are humble. Having the chance to interview the two of them interacting together was just pure gold. We'll start at the beginning of their Purdue journeys. Mike is from Indiana and Don hailed from the East Coast. So how did they find out about Purdue? And what made them want to be part of this Purdue football team? I grew up in Columbus, Indiana, south of Indianapolis. And the three major schools in Indiana was Notre Dame, Purdue, and IU. That's about all the football that I really knew, college football and all that. And the fact that I only got offered Two scholarships. One of them was from Purdue and the other was from IU. Notre Dame just didn't show any interest. That didn't bode well for me, I guess, or for them, you know, in the future. Purdue, it was an interesting thing for me because I lived in Columbus. On my right side, as I remember, was a dentist from IU. And on the other side, it was an engineer from Purdue. So as we got closer to making a decision, it was like, I felt like a wishbone, really. You know, they were tugging on me both ways. And, but Purdue made a really good impression on me. It's funny because one of the things that I remember about Purdue and the campus was the bricks, the brick campuses and all that. I guess it didn't really hurt that I lived in a brick house in Columbus. So that kind of made me feel at home. But I mean, more than that, it just the first impression I had was the right one. And that usually is the one you go with. There's where I I got an offer, and I wanted to be there. Yeah, I was uh, quarterback in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, and I was recruited, and I had multiple schools that I looked at. In fact, I signed a letter of intent to go to Wake Forest. But then I went to Purdue, and I met Bob Greasy, who was kind of my idol at the time, and interviewed with Coach Molenkoff. I got a great sense of commitment and a great sense of values. It was a school I decided I wanted to go to because passing offense was amazing. It was quarterback haven. 
and Wake Forest wasn't in the same league. So I ended up coming to Purdue and uh, going to pharmacy school. After the Boilermakers won the Rose Bowl over USC in 1967, they needed to replace All-American quarterback Bob Greasy, who Don just mentioned. So coming into the 1967 season, there wasn't a set quarterback yet. A little background here. Not only were Mike and Don teammates at Purdue, they were both quarterbacks. That's right. They were both vying for that coveted starting QB position. We showed up on campus. There were five quarterbacks that were on scholarship. One of them was going to become the replacement for Bob Greasy. So I met him on the practice field competing with him. And, you know, if you're a quarterback, you always think you're the best. Right? <laughs> yeah. You have to think that. You know, we just competed, really competed. Through the competition, we got to know each other really well. Because when you compete with someone, you know about them. You know about who they are. You know about what their character is. You know about what their values are. And out of that, we just became, even though we were competing, great friends. Yeah. So we've been friends since the freshman year. Yeah, it seems strange that that would happen. He wanted the position. I wanted the position. So did two or three other guys. But as it developed on itself, you know, we all accepted the role. You know, we were a team. That's what made us different. Everybody had a role to play once it was defined then it was all about winning football games for Purdue. This guy could have played for any other Big Ten school and just happened that he picked Purdue. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to get the position. But he came in many times when I was nicked up. He saved us a few times. Mike and Don played for the late Jack Mollenkoff, the head football coach at Purdue, from 1956 to 1969. Coach Mollenkoff's 84 wins at Purdue placed him first on the school's all-time wins list until Joe Tiller passed him in 2008. His teams were nationally ranked for 80 weeks, the most under any Purdue head coach, and his 1968 team captured the number one spot the first five weeks of that season. I could tell Coach was instrumental in both Mike and Don's lives. They relived some emotional memories with this esteemed Boilermaker coach. A lot of people wondered why Coach Mollenkoff was such a great coach. And this story, I think, tells the story about why he was. He was tough as nails, really tough, diminutive guy. But when he spoke, everybody listened. So we're playing Indiana. It was our senior year. We're in the locker room. Jack had cancer at the time, and he was at Lafayette Home Hospital. He decided against medical authority that he was going to put his robe on and come over to the locker room and meet all the players. So he comes in and he's the normal gruffy you know, and starts hugging every player. And he said, how much he loved you. And uh, still crying. <laughs> but uh, that's why he was such a great coach, because he demanded a lot, but you knew he really cared about you. Needless to say, that's not the best way to get ready for a big game. You know, they have a ghost coming. Oh, he's hugging everybody. But uh, we did go out and beat him. And pretty soundly, but the initial move on the field was we were all thinking about Jack's welfare, and unfortunately, the cancer did do him in. Let me add to that one, too. I do remember that. I hadn't thought about that one until yeah. you brought it up. I was, well, I was in the room, of course, and I still remember them raising the gate. It was, remember the chains clanging? Yeah, yeah. There he was. And 
When it got to the point that I saw my offensive lineman on the floor crying, I mean, it's believe me, it was going on. I had to get out of there. I mean, I left because I had to keep cool because yeah. we had a game coming up here. So I got out of there. I mean, it was very, very emotional. You can tell we still feel it. But, and then they, we kicked off to them. You know, we left our emotion in the locker room. They ran the ball back, remember? Yeah. Almost 90 yards. But they didn't score. Yeah. But we regrouped. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah. was a great game. I remember that one. Yeah. yeah. It was a great win for us. A lot of Coach Molikoff stories. I won't go into all of them, but uh, he was a great, great coach. And he left a mark on me and on Mike, I'm sure, and, and the rest of the teammates. Don reminisces on another Coach Molikoff story. And this time, well, Coach wasn't so easy on him. But Don says that's why players loved and respected him. Coach was hard on his players because he cared about them. I can tell that your coach means a lot to you both. What would you say the number one lesson that he instilled in you both was? We were playing Northwestern. This is a quick story. But I think it's so relevant because it says who Jack Molikoff was. Scores 42-6. I was a backup. I wanted to be the starter, right? Everybody does. So coach says, hey, Donnie, go in. He called me Donnie. Go in now. So I went in. And I went back and I could have run the ball. And I tried to sneak it in and the linebacker picked it off. So I'm thinking... 42-7, no big deal. So I'm coming off the field on like the 30-yard line, and I see Jack running down the sideline. He had his London Fog coat on and his hat, and always dressed really nice. He grabs me and used a few expletives. <laughs> I'm not going to say what they were. And he grabbed me, and he says, look, if you ever give up your own personal pride, no matter what the score is, you can never do that. So most coaches would have just said, oh, no big deal. You go off the field, they pat you on the back. But Jack cared about me. I got angry, by the way, when he did that because I felt bad. But what he did for me, he did it because he cared about me. And that's the way he treated the players. He was tough as nails, but everybody knew that he cared about you. And that created such a spirit within the organization. That's kind of the story I remember about Jack. Yeah, and I remember that too. And I thought, oh, gee, you know, I felt so bad for Don after that happened. It's like, he, he just trying to be a quarterback, you know. But exactly like Don said, he had a lesson to tell Don. The message got to cross. It never happened again. He actually said to me, if you ever do that again, you won't play ping pong for me. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so I have that message loud and clear. But it's about personal pride. And always expect the most from yourself, not the least. So he was an amazing coach. Part of all these little stories are why he was such a great coach. Okay, so you wouldn't know it by listening to him, but Mike Phipps is a big deal. And he's an absolute Purdue football legend. Besides being part of the 1967 Big Ten championship winning team, he was the first Purdue quarterback to beat Notre Dame three years in a row and a two-time first-team All-Big Ten. Mike was also selected first-team academic All-American in 1969, received the Big Ten Medal of Honor in 1970, and was the recipient of one of the most prestigious international scholarships, the Rhodes Scholarship. Oh, and he was a Heisman Trophy runner-up in 1969. 
Phipps and the Boilermakers were even featured on the cover of Sports Illustrated after a huge win against then number one ranked Notre Dame, marking the first time Purdue graced the cover of the popular sports magazine. A four-page article about the game was called Purdue Does a Number One Job Against Number One. After that game, Coach Mollenkoff said, quote, that was awfully sweet. When you have a bunch of kids that fight like that and never give up against number one, you've got a real football team. Mike's name still appears in the Purdue record book more than 60 years after he finished his college football career, and he was inducted into the Purdue Intercollegiate Athletics Hall of Fame in 1995 and the College Football Hall of Fame in 2006. But even after all of this success during his years at Purdue, Mike told me a career in professional football was never really part of his plan. I took my education very seriously, and so did Don. I mean, he was preparing for a future after Purdue. So was I. I really had no inclination coming to Purdue about playing professional football. I just wanted to be a Big Ten quarterback. That never entered my mind. And it wasn't really until my senior year that I realized, yeah, maybe I had a chance, you know. But I'm kind of getting off that. The reason I said that is because the education was the most important thing to me. I went into the, the business school, Craner, and I had one tutor, I think it was in Costa Counting. His name was David Fuente. We became friends, and he went off to be the CEO of Office Depot. And so he had a real successful career. I think of him and the friendship we had over the years. But again, I accomplished a lot on the football field. But I think one of the best awards I got was being an academic All-American. That was kind of special. I also read you turned down a Rhodes Scholarship. I did. What was going through your mind? How did you make that decision? Well, I was going to get drafted football. And that's just where I was going to go. The Rhodes Scholar, I, I didn't really... Realize how it's the word. Distinguished? Yeah, yeah, that was. I found out afterwards that well, I played 12 years. So I was, after that, I, you know, took a break. I guess it would still have been available for me to go, but I never even thought about it. I was 36 years old and I was, I thought I had learned about all I needed to learn from that point on. But yeah, that was an honor. Somebody used it, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I guess in your first round pick in the NFL draft. Yeah, I guess you go with that. (laughs) (laughs) So after he turned down that chance to study at University of Oxford in the UK through the Rhodes Scholarship, Mike found himself heading into the NFL. He was selected by the Cleveland Browns with the third overall pick in the 1970 NFL draft. And what Mike says about his experience in the NFL surprised me. It wasn't always all that it's cracked up to be. He discusses the pressures of being an NFL quarterback. I went to Cleveland in 1970 for me to get to Cleveland and first round pick. They had to trade up to get that pick. They traded Paul Warfield. Paul Warfield was an all pro. He was born in Ohio. He went to Ohio State. I mean, he was just the icon. And so they traded Paul to get me, as I said. I walked into a really uh, hornet's nest. In many ways, the expectations were really elevated, but you just don't walk in professional football and deliver. So I had to win back a lot of the fans. And and trust me, a lot of the players, since Paul was so popular and he was a great football player, I didn't get the warmest reception, 
So, I mean, I had to win the, the team over. That was a challenge. I had never been booed in my life at Purdue. They would boo you? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, that was... <laughs> How many games in a row until you won over the trust and the... Oh, I mean, it wasn't every game. They expected a lot. Cleveland, the fans were just phenomenal fans. Yeah. They just expected to win, and it didn't always go that way. Did I ever get used to that? It really does motivate you. You say, well, boo me now, and then, you know, at the end of the game, we'll see where you're at, you know. Mm-hmm. That was an adjustment. I had never... Have you ever been booed before? <laughs> I mean, I no, know no, I never played professional football. No, well, I never, know, but I mean, never been booed. Yeah, no. so I mean, it was like, what is this? You know, <laughs> that's one reason it was different. I can't say it was football. I enjoyed it. I did my, the very best. I would prepare, but you know, the outcomes weren't as like they were at Purdue all the time. We had some great years at Cleveland, but it just. I don't want to get into the great details of my career there, but, you know, I ran its course there in seven years. Then I just said, you know, it's time for me maybe to have a change of scenery, which I thought maybe would be good for Cleveland and me. And so I got traded to Chicago and played five years there and finally said, you know, it's 12 years. Professional football is not what everyone thinks it is. They think it's a very glamorous mm-hmm. position. You'd be the envy of everyone else. I can tell you that it's not that way. It's very pressure-filled. It's hard work. And it's funny, too, because this just popped into my mind. When I retired, and I did it on my own, because I just had lost the passion for it. And you always get that question you hear, do you miss it, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like, do you miss it? And somebody asked me that, and I said, you know, I was as happy or happier the day I retired than the day I first got drafted. And it's like, he, he looked at me and said, how can that be? You know, it's like, you don't understand professional football and the pressure that we are under, particularly the quarterback. I mean, it's like, everybody sees what you do. So how did you overcome those challenges and get your mind straight? When you're walking into those games. Well, you just focus. You Well, first of all, you're prepared. I mean, we never went into a game at Purdue thinking we were going to lose. That thought. Jack instilled that in us. Yeah. I mean, Not maybe you're going to win. There's no way you're going to lose. Yeah. Yeah. So we were prepared. And as quarterbacks, we never liked surprises. We always knew what the defense was going to do and if they made this adjustment, we were going to do that. So it's not, we weren't going to be caught off guard. I don't think we ever were caught off guard. No, we were very well. Yeah. Prepared. So I guess I'm kind of getting off track, but you have to prepare, you know, so you focus on that. When you get into the game, I blocked out everything, the fans and all that. I really did. You, you have to. Mike went on to play 12 seasons in the NFL with the Browns from 1970 to 1976 and then the Chicago Bears from 1977 to 1981. He ended his career with 10,506 passing yards and 55 touchdown passes. Don and Mike's close friendship continued after graduation, of course, although the two took entirely different paths in life. Don shares the duo's annual fishing trip ritual before Mike started each NFL season. What we did was, before the season started, we would go on a fishing trip. And we spend the whole week in the boat, and we'd be talking about what are the things that are going to really be important for you to make this team what it can be. 
And we would talk about that. And we talk about he's a strong leader. I mean, Mike's a leader. He was a leader through example. He was in a big word guy. But on the field, he led by example, like leading Leroy Keys around the end and blocking three people, you know? So we would do that every year before the season. One year he was negotiating a contract. So we talked about how you're going to get the deal done, you know, one of those yeah. things. And as for Don, while he didn't go on to play professional football, he found distinguished, meaningful success off the field with his Purdue pharmacy degree. I was the only football player in the pharmacy school. And I had a professor named Dr. Gilbert Banker who ran the pharmaceutics group. And he was the one who encouraged me to go to graduate school. And he was part of the faculty advisor group for athletics. So he was kind of the guy that if he thought I needed some pat on the back or whatever, he would call me in. And he was the reason I ended up going to graduate school. So he left a mark on me. I asked Don, who founded 12 healthcare companies, how his Purdue education prepared him for life after graduation. I would talk about two things. Number one, being on a championship football team. Probably that prepared me more for business than anything, even more than my educational work. I mean, you, the level of commitment, the preparation, the teamwork, all of those things are inherent to running a successful company. Knowing how to pull people together, develop the right strategy, not give up. As an entrepreneur, you can't give up. All of that gave me a foundation that was really important. And then the pharmacy school, and to this day, it's still top five, I think. They instilled such a professionalism and ethical commitment because I've run a couple of pharmaceutical companies and the ethics has always been there. And then the commitment to patient care. So with those two, you know, I feel so committed to doing whatever I can to support Purdue because they gave me the foundation for me to build a career off of, which has been great. I think I did talk about the foundation, championship team and pharmacy school. I've been able to springboard those, leverage that, and been a successful entrepreneur in healthcare. And importantly, work on therapies and technology that really helps promote patient care. I mean, save lives. So that basis has given me that skill set to be able to go out and make that happen. And what does it mean to you that you have such a meaningful career path that you're actually impacting other people's lives? I kind of like to look at it this way, because I've started 12 companies in healthcare and I'm still on boards and stuff. So I still invest in private companies. But I only get involved in projects where I can put money in my pocket and put something in my heart. Like I'm working on a drug for autism right now. And in these kids, Fragile X in particular, they're the most extreme case of autism. And there's no therapies to treat them. And we have two that we're working on. For me to be able to be involved in that, even if I didn't make any money, if I could help these kids, that would fill me up inside. I've been blessed. I've been very fortunate. And he's really good at what he does. You can probably tell by now that both Mike and Don's experiences at Purdue mean so much to them and truly set them up for success. The two are still involved with Purdue as President's Council members, part of the Purdue for Life Foundation. So what does it mean to them to continue to support Purdue after all these years? You are both here for the President's Council weekend. You guys have been friends for over 50 years. What does it mean to still be involved in this Purdue community the way that you both are? Well, I think 
because Purdue has meant so much to me, I want to see it continue to be very successful. I want to see the football program, nine and four is not bad. It's pretty damn good. Uh-huh. Yep. I want to see it continue to grow. The reason is students like to go to a university that have a successful athletic program, like our basketball team this year. So I think it adds so much to the spirit and also the recruitment of students and to the pride of being part of that kind of an organization. So for me, being part of a championship team and come back and see another championship team, it feels really, really good. It's hard to describe the feeling, but it makes you feel proud. Well, ditto to that. What's interesting when I've come back to these events is that they always have a, another player from another generation. They had Dustin there yesterday, Dustin Keller, mm-hmm. hearing his story. And before that, there was, there was a couple other guys that you could sense that they had the same experience that we did and the impact that it had on their lives. And so I just see it carrying down from the days we were here before us. I'm sure it was the same. Continues to go on. You know, what drives that? I don't know. There's just something special here that I don't know if you can describe it, but you certainly can feel it. Mm -hmm. And when you get back with the Purdue family, you feel good and you walk away feeling better, you know. And you guys mentioned the football record. Are you still following the program closely with Coach Brown? Sure, absolutely. I think this was a breakthrough year, transformational year. And the offense has always been absolutely great. So we're hopeful that he'll continue this year, with next year, and even better. I think he's doing a great job. Is Purdue football still in our hearts? Absolutely. It's always got to be that way. I agree with Don that this was a breakthrough year for Purdue. A couple of years ago, we beat Ohio State at Ross-Aid, and that was the turning point for the program. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we hit some bumps in the road after that. But we had high expectations as fans. I see it back now. I think we'd come back and turn the corner. I see, I see it. But, you know, that's last year. You have to build on that. Everything's changed. You know, you got new players. And now we have four new coaches for the next season. There's moving parts. You try to build off what you've done last year, but there's no guarantees for next year. But we're very optimistic. And speaking of Purdue's football program, Mike and Don try to get back to campus for a game each year, usually on homecoming. Don discusses why it's so special for them to see old teammates and continue to foster relationships more than five decades in the making. Do you guys still go back for tailgates or do you have any traditions when you're watching a Purdue game or superstitions? or anything? Well, we go back normally for homecoming. And probably the highlight of that isn't so much a game, it's seeing my teammates. Because when you go through playing ball with someone, no matter if it's 55 years ago, there's a bond that you make that's like nothing else. And a friendship, because you know them down inside. They know you. They know what you stand for. And it's so much fun to do that fellowship again. So, yeah, we go back for homecoming typically. Yeah, I still remember riding the bus in to Ross Aid when we were playing home, and he, you'd see all this tailgating going on. He said, I want to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get into tailgating. You know, how, how are we going to do that? You know? I know. I know. <laughs> and we've caught up, I think. <laughs> so we're. I really enjoy that part of it, too. When I think about Purdue, I think about it being a rock. 
It's a rock, and you know, big, big rock that stands for so many great things. And you can't move it because it's there. And it goes so deep. The roots are so deep to all the students that went there that have made something out of themselves. And a lot of successful people from Purdue. And it gives people the foundation to be able to do whatever you want to do. You know, and the student athletes, I would talk to them and say, hey, education, education, education. Right? Right, because football eventually ends, right? Yeah. For me, it did. Well, me too. For him too. <laughs> You're not still playing? <laughs> no, he's not, no. no, he can't go deep anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so what would you say to students and maybe even particularly the football team members right now as young students, what advice would you guys give them? I would say 150% on the field, 150% in class. And they're both equally important because there's such a small number that make it into the pros. You want to be able to leverage the educational opportunity. And Purdue keeps going up in the rankings, like the pharmacy school's top five, Craner's improved. So that's, I think, the message I would give. Give it 150% and make friends. Because when you graduate, your ability to network, because my career, networking has been the most important thing, to be able to call somebody up and say, hey, what about this? So network, make friends excel in academics and if you're on the team, 150%. Well, I agree with Don. The mindset of the athletes today are different, especially coming in because they all have ambitions. They're all going to play professional football. I mean, that's just what they would think, but it's not going to happen. And so you do have to prepare. He said 150% on both the field and that. It's absolutely true. I'd even say I would advise them to give, maybe this doesn't sound right, but to give more to the academic side. I did because I didn't have any idea I was going to get into professional football. The odds are so stacked against you. And I think they have a lot of disappointing players that they're not going to make it. But there's something about Purdue that you really gravitate to the education and the academics. And I think that's really what's vital for your success outside of Purdue. When you read into both Mike and Don's Purdue football highlights and accomplishments, another name frequently comes up as well. Purdue football icon Leroy Keyes. Let's go back to a couple Purdue football games in the late 1960s. And with the ball on the Purdue 44-yard line, Phipps drops back, is chased wide right, and throws a running 60-yard pass to Leroy Keyes for another Purdue touchdown that brought the Boilermakers within striking distance. On the next play, Keyes takes a keeper pitch and skirts right in for eight yards. Three plays later, Keeper again pitches to Keyes, who cuts inside right end, finds daylight, and goes all the way down the sidelines for a 51-yard touchdown run. This score gave Purdue the lead over the Hawkeyes, 12-7. to Leroy, a two-time All-American, finished third in the 1967 Heisman Trophy voting and second in the 1968 Heisman Trophy voting. After playing in the NFL, Leroy worked for the John Purdue Club and later became an assistant athletic director for Purdue. When I asked Mike and Don about the Boilermaker spirit, Leroy and his legacy came up, along with the hole in their hearts after his passing in April of 2021. What is the Purdue 
community and that Boilermaker spirit. If you had to summarize, what does that mean to you both? Well, I can say when you come back to college and you stop at the chocolate shop, because <laughs> we know her son, Mary, quite well. We used to know when it was Dirty Harry's, by the way. And you go in, you have a beer, and it's the day before a game, and the students are there, and the vitality and the enthusiasm, and it's contagious. It just fills you up with spirit. And I'd love to see that. Now, this year, with the winning team, it was a lot better than it's been. <laughs> so I think it's inspirational. It makes you feel good. Makes you feel proud of being part of Purdue again. And when you see, when we see our teammates, it's a renewal, a it's renewal a, of friendships. Yeah, unfortunately, there's few of us left. Yeah. You know? I mean, every year it, we lost a great one, Leroy, really Leroy. did. Tell us about Leroy and what it was like, you know, with him as your teammate. Leroy, instead of talking about him as maybe the GOAT, I'd rather talk about him as a man because his value system was impeccable. He, um, was inspirational to everybody he talked to. And one of the speeches yesterday just told it all. Leroy was the kind of person, no matter how bad you were feeling, when you talked to him and you left, you felt good. And he was a Christian, very religious, spiritual guy, and his legacy will be with the school for a long time. What he stood for, Mr. Purdue football. That's what I would call him. Yesterday, they did that video of Leroy at the brunch, and there was one picture of Leroy, myself, Neil Armstrong, and I think it was Gene Cernan. Cernan? Yeah, Cernan, yeah. And Coach Molikoff. This was after the game, Texas A&M. We won 24 to 20. It was my first game as, you know, college. And I think back at it, there I am shaking the hands with the first man that landed on the moon. I mean, really. And that was a real special moment for me. And I had completely forgot about it, but I visualized it again. And I was like, wow, you know, this was a special photo. Everything Don said about Leroy is accurate. You, you, you felt good about him. The fact that he wasn't there yesterday, I felt it. And I felt a hole there. Yeah. But part of he's success. A lot of people don't know this. Most quarterbacks don't like to block too much. <laughs> when we ran that Leroy, give the ball to Leroy toss, and he'd let it, he was like a pulling guard. So he blocked. I mean, he was part of the formula for Leroy's success, and he really went around the corner and cleaned it out. You want to hear a story about that, how that happened? They didn't tell me, well, they didn't tell either one of us, okay, you pitched the ball to Leroy, and then you run out in front of, you know, and you block or just kind of get in the way. Well, I think it was one, in one of our spring practices. I was in, did the toss sweep to Leroy. So I go around, and there's one of the defensive ends that just cracked down on me and just lit me up, you know. It looked like I blocked him, but I, I just got really smoked, you know. And Coach DeMoss jumped up, way to go, Mike. You know, they, called, they didn't call us by name. They called us 15 or whatever. That was, the, <laughs> that was how we were described. Way to go, 15, you know. And I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> I go back to the huddle, and here's, 
Here's the hawk. He says, way to go, Flip. I said, oh, thanks a lot. I thought he was giving me kudos for doing this. He said, no, you idiot. He said, they're going to expect me to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I was not the best blocking quarterback. (laughs) Yeah, but it just, you know, I enjoy doing it. Nobody would ask you to do that today as a quarterback. It's just like, no. But again, I played defense and it wasn't anything for me to get in the way of somebody and block them. It was kind of fun, actually. So when you see your teammates back here, or back at homecoming, do you guys reminisce? And oh, my God. Yeah. The stories keep getting better. It's like, this, you know, you go fishing, you catch a fish this big. They get that <laughs> oh, yeah, that's why we'd love to see each other. Because, uh, oh, there's so many stories about Coach Malenkoff. We had a very, very distinguished team physician named Doc Combs. There's a lot of stories about him and then a lot of stories about the players. Yeah, and it's so much fun to reminisce. That's why it's great to come back for homecoming. Yeah, there's a lot of stories you forgot about that somebody jogs your memory. Yeah. You don't want to remember. Yeah, yeah you block them out. <laughs> yeah. This interview was so memorable for myself and our This Is Purdue team. But I think my favorite part of this interview was watching these two friends rave about each other's successes. Mike and Zahn's friendship is simply friendship goals. Yeah, I mean, what can you say? It's it, Our experience at Purdue, both of us, it's hard to describe the results. What makes Purdue special? I think it attracts the people with a lot of character and good people. When they walk away, they're much better. They're more developed. They're enthusiastic tack a career here and there. This guy's done phenomenal. It's funny because... He starts talking to to me about the projects that he's doing, and he gets into the scientific mode, and he starts describing <laughs> things to me like, I think he's speaking in tongues as far as I'm concerned, but it's amazing. He's done well. I'm proud of him. Well, thank you. You have, too. I'm proud of you. I used to go to the locker room after his game sometimes, and I always felt so proud of him. What was it like to support him? You know, in this top tier league. Well, I wanted to get in fights when I heard the booze. (laughs) (laughs) But I used to go in the locker room after the game and uh, met Peyton. And yeah, I was so proud of him. I mean, I really was proud of him. And I would go to some of the games with his wife. Carol would go with me. And um, it was an exciting thing to do. So yeah, we've kept this great friend. He's my best friend. We love each other. And you're going to make me cry. We're so thankful Mike and Don shared their stories with us. If you'd like to watch our full video interview with Mike and Don in Naples, please head over to youtube.com slash Purdue. Trust me, you do not want to miss out on watching these two in action. Thanks for listening to This is Purdue. For more information on this episode, visit our website at purdue.edu slash podcast. There you can head over to your favorite podcast app to subscribe and leave us a review. And as always, boiler up.